Welcome to No Finish Line, a podcast with John O'Regan, sponsored by Great Outdoors Dublin. Hello and welcome back to another episode of No Finish Line podcast featuring athlete interviews and discussion on running, training, traveling and adventure. And I'm your host, John O'Regan. following on from the last podcast I'm going to do another training related episode and after the last one I had put out a question on Instagram stories just to get an idea about subjects I could talk about rather than me just coming up with the ideas and a few questions come in relating to hill training one in particular was asking about how to incorporate hill training into your running plan if you haven't done hill running before so I'm going to kind of focus on that a bit now so to improve leg strength outside of the gym, typically you either need to run fast on a flat ground or you just need to run up a hill. The first thing we need to look at in terms of hill running is what are we trying to achieve and why are we doing them. Is it to be able to generate a lot of power for a short period of time like what a sprinter would do? This would also benefit a team player in a sport such as football or a runner who's looking to uh, get stronger at making surges or having a finishing kick in races shorter than the marathon or it could be to improve your leg strength to help protect against running related or other similar injuries, or you might want to improve your endurance and increase the time taken to fatigue in longer races from marathon, or in my case, the ultramarathon. Or maybe you just want to improve your performance in trail or mountain running, where the races are held on steeper and uneven ground. So as you can see, there are a lot of variations on what we would do with hill training, so the first type of hill training that we talk about would be specifically for increasing your muscle power. And this requires short, steep hill sprints. If you were a sprinter, then this would be most beneficial as it's closer to being event specific. And for me, I would only use short, steep hills towards the end of a training block that was including hill work. I'm only going to touch on this briefly because my knowledge of sprinting will be limited. I know the theory, but theory doesn't always work in practice. And I always feel that you learn by doing. And I don't think I've observed enough sessions with experienced sprinters to be telling sprinters out there what to do. So if you're a sprinter, go and see a sprint coach. So having said that, different athletes do similar things but in different ways. And you won't always get an agreement on how to do hill sprints or reps as I prefer to call them. So what are we talking about here with short hill sprints? Well for starters, I would say the shorter the hill then the steeper it needs to be. And then the next question is, how steep is steep? Well, the steepest I would suggest would be something like what you would get in the multi-storey car park as you drive up the levels. So if you can picture that, you'll know that it will be almost too steep to cycle up if you didn't have a rolling start. And regarding the length of the hill, you want something that would take a minimum of 5 to 8 seconds. Or in my case, I'd prefer to have a minimum of 10 to 20 seconds to complete. That's a minimum and ideally it should have some flatter distance on top to allow you to come to a rolling stop rather than you having you know, kind of a, a sudden stop where it's like you're applying the brakes. If you were a long distance runner doing the marathon, ultra marathon or long trail runs, then I'd be wanting a hill that is less steep and longer than the one that I've just mentioned that you would find in the underground car park. I'd be looking at a distance that would take a minimum of 30 seconds and up to 90 seconds. 
and then for trail runners they could use even longer hills and they need to be getting more event specific where their hills in the actual race would be that bit longer. Now before we go any further, what I'm giving you are kind of guidelines and suggestions and you need to remember that you can only work with what you have as it might not be practical if you have to travel to find something that you think suitable. Just because the description of a hill rep in the marathon plan you are following says you need a hill of 800 meters in length, that doesn't mean you can't do it without a hill that's 800 meters in length. If you had a hill that was 300 meters, the way you could you could use that is you could run towards the hill to pre-fatigue your legs before you actually hit it and then you will be picking up speed as you start to climb on the hill. That would get you close enough to what the feel of 800 metres would be like. It won't be the same, but it's better than nothing. So you use what you have and you play around with the pace, intensity, recoveries between reps, the frequency of when you do them, and the number of reps and sets that you use. Reps is a word that is short for repetition, and the set is made up from a number of reps. You then have a recovery between the reps that will be approximately one and a half to two times the length of the rep or you use the time that's required without overdoing the rest period like you wouldn't it wouldn't be long enough for you to be going to you know sit down and having a chat you have to be recovered when you get down and know that you are ready to go again and then following on from that you have a longer rest period between the sets so as an example if I was doing a rep that was taking 90 seconds to complete, so that's 90 seconds from the base of the hill to get to the top of it, I would then take a three minute recovery, which should allow me enough time to walk or have a very light jog back down to the start, get myself ready to go again without having to rush the process. So I repeat that three times, but after coming down from the third one, my break would then be five minutes. So I have a 90 second break in between the reps and then a five minutes break in between the sets. Now I've mentioned the steepness of the hill and the length of it, and then ideally you should have something that has a fairly smooth surface. Now this isn't always possible, but take it when you can, because having a smooth surface means you won't need to be worrying about trip hazards such as rocks or tree roots that you'd find on a trail. So you can focus more on the movement and putting the effort in. Even if you were a trail runner, there are benefits from doing this type of work on less technical surface. And I'm sure road runners would say that there's a benefit from doing their speed work on the track rather than doing it out in the road because you don't have to worry about, as I said, trip hazards or, you know, potholes. And it, like when you're kind of concentrating on the effort that you're putting in, that takes that does take a lot of concentration. And it'd be very, very easy to just, I suppose, throw an ankle or trip over a small stone that's sticking up out of the ground so you need to be really really careful with this now we do know for a trail runner especially that we need to train on terrain and be specific but it's also good to have a safe surface when doing this type of training as you are trying to bring about a neuromuscular adaption and there will be less hesitation when you're moving and you can move more confidently when you feel it's safe to go close to your max so remember this is training in the same way that going into the gym is seen as a safe way to overload the muscles. So it's training. Think of it as training. You're not racing, you're training. Now let's put the session together. I use a Garmin watch and have a profile set up that are called sessions. I've customized the screens for when I'm doing specific sessions. You can choose whatever data fields and screens you want, but my 
preference is to include a screen that just shows the lap time. I focus mostly on lap time when I'm doing this. Forget about pace or distance, it's the lap time that I'm using. Because if you're doing something that's short or if, if you're going around bends, GPS isn't really as accurate. And if I'm using time all the time, I'm able to use that to kind of measure my progress and then monitor how the, how the training is going. So my preference would be having lap time and then on another screen, I would show the overall distance. So if I'm repeating similar sessions, I will try finish the session at a set distance, which will be determined as I get close to finishing. I'll kind of work that out with my cooldown. So then the next time I'm out, I'll try and match up the next session with what I've done the week before. And that makes it easier for me to kind of compare one week with the other. And then the lap time that I'm looking at, that will be similar to using a stopwatch function. And another important thing I do is I switch off auto lap and instead I use the manual lap function, which means pressing the lap button. That's part of the reason as well why I have a separate profile set up called sections because normally when I go out running, I have a profile that just says run and that has my watch to auto lap after one kilometer. If I'm trail running, I use the profile that's set in the watch for trail running, which, which includes other stuff like elevation, I have a compass on it, and then it also has a map as well. So that's specific to me going trail running. Now, before I forget it, whenever you're doing a training session, you should leave your watch running for the full duration and don't press stop or pause to remove the rest periods or whenever you stop. Taking out the stoppage time gives an unrealistic view of your fitness and ability. So when you stop, you allow yourself to recover and you go again. If you remove that from the activity, it's making the overall session at the end look like you are fitter, faster and stronger than, than you really are. And realistically, you could not hold the same intensity if continuous. It's like if you were to cycle your bike for an hour and you take a break for 30 minutes and then go back on the bike and cycle for another hour and you've stopped your watch and removed that half an hour, that two hour cycle is not the equivalent of what you would do if you were cycling for two hours continuous. It would probably have taken you two hours 15 or two hours 20. And the same would be for a run. If you run for five kilometers and then you stop and you take a break for five, 10 minutes, and then you start your watch again and run for another five kilometers, your 10K time is not those two 5Ks combined. It's those two plus the time you've, you've stopped because that stop has allowed you enough time to rest, recover and have your muscles primed to go again. So it's I think it's important that you keep your watch running, especially when you're doing sessions. It might look good when sharing it, but whatever about fooling somebody else, you should never fool yourself. Now, my usual session would start with a 15 to 20 minute run or the time it takes of an easy jog to get to the base of my hill so i would meet up with my uh, other club runners at the track and then we would go to the base of a hill and that will take approximately 15 to 20 minutes some people takes a bit less some people takes a bit more and we get there watch is still running and we wait for everybody to arrive the watch is still running and then when we're ready to go we would hit lap button and run to the top of the hill. When we get to a point that we use regularly at the top of the hill, we hit the lap button, turn, and you go back down again to the start. And generally, we have enough time to walk down to the start, regroup, ask it everybody ready, and then we go again. So we take our recovery time, hit lap button, and we go again. When the set is complete, we take the recovery, or take the longer recovery in between sets, go again. We finish the three sets, and then we head 
back to the track at an easier pace and sometimes I will stop before I get to the track if I've hit an even number on my, on my watch and then walk the rest of the distance. That's just to give myself a bit of a, a bit of an easier end to the session with that cool down. Now, if you want to start incorporating hills, hill training into your uh, weekly routine, you could try starting with two sets of three and see how it feels. And then the following week, depending on how you feel, you can then progress it to three sets. So the first time you do it, you're not looking at running hard up the hill. You're looking at running, well, I'd say comfortably hard. An effort that you can, can complete, but you don't feel like you can't get enough oxygen in to actually actually breathe. So you, you shouldn't be struggling for air when you get to the top of the hill. So have a comfortably hard, know that you've walked and you should be feeling it maybe a little bit of discomfort in your legs more so than, than your lungs. I think it's, it's one of those things that you will learn by doing. And after the first, first session, you will get an idea of what you should be doing the next time. Now, and the very, very important thing with hill running is, and actually the same goes with all training, that when you finish the run, you need to remember that you haven't finished your training. The training isn't over until you've started the most important part of the process, which is the recovery. The running part of the training isn't what's making you stronger and fitter, and in fact, it's doing the opposite. So you need to think about that. Towards the end of a session, you feel weaker and tired rather than stronger and fitter. If you are running a race, you're strongest at the start of the race, as it gets towards the end of the race, you're tired, you're fatigued, you're running low on energy, and it's more of an effort to get to the finish line. So if anything, your pace is slowing towards the end and then more than likely you're going to be spent when you get through it. So you're not getting fitter, you're losing fitness, you're losing strength and you're losing fitness. But what the training does do is, it creates a catalyst to help you to become fitter and stronger. This now is when your nutrition and rest become most important. The timing of what you do can be the important part of what you do. So ideally now is the time to be taking in a meal that contains carbs and protein and the activity you do will determine what you take. Hill reps will be predominantly a strength building exercise. So I'll be making sure that I have a, pro- that I have a lot of protein included in whatever I take and I would find that a drink would be the most convenient and a drink also hydrates. The advantage with a drink is, especially if it's, if it's a carb protein drink, which is what most of the recovery drinks would be, or chocolate milk has the same ratio of carbs to protein, it's protein in a pre-digested form. If you're eating something solid, your body has to break it down. But if you take it in, in its pre-digested form as in a drink, it's easier for the body to absorb. And plus, after training, your muscles are more receptive to the uptake of these nutrients. So when you stop, your the mitochondria in your muscles are trying to pull back in any glycogen, which is the carbohydrates in your system. They're trying to pull that back into the muscles to help refuel them. So any protein that's floating around as well is going to get drawn into the muscles, and that's what's going to help with rebuilding them. So when you work hard, you get these little micro tears in your muscles. So the, mu- the muscle gets damaged, it gets torn, and it's as it repairs that it gets stronger. So if you could imagine that protein is like cement going back into the muscles to help help repair them. Now, moving on to trail running. Trail running races would include a lot of downhill running. And some of the hills can be quite long. And downhill running involves what's called an eccentric muscle contraction, which is the lengthening of the muscle. The opposite to that is a concentric movement, a concentric contraction, which is the muscle shortening. 
So if you know with your, your, your bicep muscle, which is on the front of your arm, if you're lifting something up towards your shoulder, your bicep muscle is contracting. That's, that's a concentric movement. And then as you lower your hand back down again, it's lengthening. That's the eccentric movement. So when you're running downhill, you have what's called an eccentric muscle contraction on your quads. And this can cause a lot of muscle damage and soreness. So you need to be careful with that. As a trail runner, you shouldn't avoid, you shouldn't avoid the downhill running and training. But instead, you need to apply it in the right dosage. So remember, the dose is the poison. Too much is when you start getting damage that takes longer to repair. That lengthens your time. That lengthens the time taken to return to training. So it's important that you get these these things right. So it's a case of too little is probably better than too much because it means that your training can be uh, continuous. So as a suggestion for a trail runner, if you were doing three sets of three reps, you could try focus more on the downhill part of the part of the rep for the last set. So as I was saying, take a recovery going down. You could maybe run up the hill easy, but then run down it hard. And for the downhill reps, I'd be looking at being inefficient to try and work the quads, which are the time muscles on the front of the leg, by hitting the ground a little bit harder and making them work harder. Now, you need to be careful here. And as I said, the dose needs to be managed. That's why I'd say do it towards the end of a session. You don't want to be damaging the muscles at the start and then having this carry through to the end of the session because your technique will just go out the window. And I'd also say that downhill running is a skill that needs to be practiced. So it doesn't really make sense to be practicing to be inefficient like I've just told you to be. So don't confuse the purpose of the exercise. There's a reason why I'm saying having a bit of inefficiency because it's it's going to have a higher energy cost and it's it's going to cause your muscles to work harder and it's, it's going to in, induce that damage but then when you can repair it, they come back stronger and more able. The body adapts to what it does, but you have to know how to apply the loads. And also for a trail runner, I would suggest long downhills would also be a useful addition to your training and an opportunity to work on your descending skills, your braking, your cornering. As I mentioned earlier, we learn by doing, and even without realizing it, you will be strengthening the, the mind-muscle connection and improving your ability to judge time and distance and improving your reaction time. You might find after doing a long downhill that when you get onto the flat, the flat starts to feel quite difficult. And that's the way it is in a lot of, lot of races. So you need to prepare yourself for that and get the body used to coming out of rolling out of a hill and then being able to continue along on the flat. So it is important to be kind of adding that into your training. And I think from the mental side of things as well, if you were went out in the session and you were in your head you said okay well I'm going to focus on downhill running a lot now today so I'm going to look for hills that will be long enough to get a good downhill now chances are you're going to have to get to the top of the hill before you can come down again but I find that if if I'm out hills can be tough but if you need to get to the top of a hill because the the reason for that is to run back down again in your head you won't see that as being work and you will see that as being a means to an end. And I think mentally that makes it that little bit easier. So if you don't believe me, give it a try. Now for trail running, I would also suggest uh, doing maybe longer intervals on the up of at least maybe 800 meters. 
and if the climb isn't too severe then you could go longer I'd say let the terrain dictate your pace and think of it like driving a car think about how you would drive or even cycle on the same terrain especially when you're going around corners if you were driving up this hill in a car and the hill started to get a little bit steeper what would you do well chances are if you're in a car you will be concerned about the engine of the car and, and you kind of know how the if, if you've had the car for a while you'll know how it works you'll know what it can do and what it can't do so you're more than likely going to go into a lower gear to reduce the stress that you're placing on the engine so you know that the car is going to be able to perform when it gets to the top of the hill and that's what you need to do so if you're using a heart rate monitor you could maybe be comfortable on the hill or you you might kind of get to know this in training see what your heart rate is as, as you're going up a steady climb and you could look at that like you would look at the rev counter in your car if you start to feel that you're working hard and you look at you look at your watch and you can see your heart rate is confirming what you're thinking, then you know, okay, I need to drop the gear a bit. But dropping the gear because you know you have to do it isn't the same as just slowing down. So it's it's still it's you staying in control and being mindful of what's actually going on. So you're you're using the watch as a subjective measure of what's going on in inside your body. And that's allowing you to conserve energy for later on the race. So you can use it to your advantage in that way. Now, having said all of that, we now know what to do, but when do we do it? So this is a hard one to answer. And I would usually say it it depends. A good time to apply hill training would be at the start of a training block when you're looking at strengthening your legs. And as I mentioned earlier, to maybe give them that kind of injury protection for when you're doing uh, maybe faster work later on as your training progresses. Hill training is often referenced as speed training in disguise. If you're running very, very fast in the flat, your risk of injury increases because your feet are hitting the ground that bit harder, your stops are more severe, and it's much, much higher impact. But when you're going up a hill, you're working against gravity also, and, and that's making it that bit tougher. So that's increasing the resistance you're having to engage your fast switch muscle fibers, but gravity is kind of holding you back and making you walk that bit harder without having the same impact. So hill running, I'd say maybe if you were doing a training cycle, we'll say it was four months. In the first month, you could do hill reps once a week for four weeks. And then following on from that, I would say you would then want to turn that strength that you're building into the forward motion so i would take the hill reps to either a shorter hill and run faster or else get yourself onto the track or some somewhere flat and start adding in some intervals i usually call reps anything shorter than 400 meters and then intervals would be longer and reps would be combined into sets where intervals are done individually so if i was doing one kilometer reps, we might say we start off with three by one K and then we might go up to five by one K. Could be three by two K leading up to five by five by two K. Actually that's something we might talk about in another episode, depending on how this one goes. This we can move on to tempo runs, reps, intervals, and that in a bit more detail again. So what was I saying there? How do we actually uh, fit that in? So it's a hard one to answer and when I get a hard question, I usually say it depends. That's an easy way to answer the question. But really, it does depend. We're all different. It depends on what, what you're training for, what way your training is going. And 
It could also depend on whether you train on your own or you're training with a club. For starters, let's look at a sample training week, but bear in mind that your week might differ. As I just mentioned, there, you may have club training sessions. And I seldom suggest that you do this instead of that, because I think the social aspect of training with others has a value that shouldn't be underestimated. Being around like-minded people will itself bring you on, as it can help with you getting out the door in the first place. And or maybe if you are going to start trying to incorporate some hill training, it might be a good idea to involve somebody else as well. It can keep you honest, it can stop you stopping too soon, and it can help control the pace of what you're doing. Okay, I'm going off on the tangent, so back to how you fit it in. So first of all, this is advanced training, and it's not part of your Couch to 5K plan, and it's not necessary for your first 10K, your first half marathon, or your first marathon but you could try introduce it without any intensity and just find the hill and, and just run it. But you always need to be careful that there's always the added risk when you start adding in something different. So just be really, really careful. And another thing I would say is don't add two new things at the same time. So if, if you're starting off on a new training plan, you need to be careful adding something in because then if you end up getting a bit of an injury or setback, you're trying to figure out what actually caused it. Was it the hills? Was it the long run? So just be careful when you add anything new. And I'd say anything that you do introduce needs to be introduced gradually. So anyway, back on track again. So let's say we do our hill training on the Monday and then we have an easy recovery run on the Tuesday. Now, if you are finding that your legs are sore on the Tuesday, which can be expected, then take it really easy and keep the run short. Then on Wednesday, you should feel recovered enough to do another session, which in this case could be a tempo run. Now, if you are feeling too sore for this run, then that means you may have gone too hard on the Monday. The soreness is what we call the DOMS. That means delayed onset muscle soreness. And that's because the damage that you have caused to the muscles is when the muscles start to return to the way they were, homeostasis which is back to their kind of normal relaxed form, it's then that they start to notice that, hang on, there's a problem here. Muscles are damaged. We don't have what's called muscle integrity, that the muscles can't fire it off in the same way. Not all the fibers are going to be ready to, to go again. There could be a few muscles torn, a few little tears in the muscle fibers, then they can't recruit them. So it's anything you do is going to feel more of an effort. Plus you won't be able to absorb shock in the same way. Now, the DOMS can be part of the process, get them kind of mildly. But if you overdo it and you have a severe case of the DOMS, this is the old-fashioned way of training with the no pain, no gain. Well, in reality, with a sport like running, where you don't just do it twice a week, you do it more times a week. If you have pain, you're going to lose the gain because it's going to lengthen the time that it takes to return to training and then you can't build on what you've just done. So your time to return back to training, your readiness to train again, your readiness to do a new session is going to be so long that you won't be able to build on what you've just done. So you need to bear that in mind. So if you feel that you're not recovered by the Wednesday, then you need to factor that in when you go training the next the next Monday, the next time you do the hill session. You don't try and be better and harder than what you did the week before. We're looking at building, like, it's it's a process where you you need to layer the sessions on top of each other. So a bit of practice and self-awareness 
and you'll soon work out what you can do or more importantly what you can't do. And what feels tough this week might not be as tough next week as you improve with the training, but you don't try and work harder all the time, okay? Don't keep trying to run harder. You need to get better. So the opposite can be said for uh, can also be said for not training. So you need to realize that if you take a break from hill training, so I'm saying you get you get better with the training, but if you don't train, the opposite happens. The principle of reversibility, where you lose the effect that you've just been working for. So when you start back at a hill section again, then it's going to feel tough. But because of your muscle memory and memory of the activity, you might go out and try and run harder than you were actually able for. And you will feel the effect of the effort. So you need to be aware of that. Whenever you need to, whenever you start back from a break, you need to introduce what you're doing gradually because it'll always be tough. Now, I might explain, I just mentioned the principle of reversibility there. So I might explain some of the training principles in another podcast. That might be another idea. So I think that's enough for this one and hope you get something from it. If you found it useful, then please pass it on. And if you have any questions or suggestions, you can contact me on Twitter or Instagram at John O'Regan 777 or on Facebook at John O'Regan Ultra Runner. And hopefully you you did enjoy it. And if you did, you might subscribe, leave a comment on Apple iTunes. Talk again soon. And maybe the next time it'll be training principles or I might talk about tempo runs or maybe might even talk about something else or I might get back to having another athlete interview which will be that bit easier.